0: Welcome to the Muscle Science for Women podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ashley Van Houten. It's just going to be me today, interviewing a very special guest. I'm going to try not to cough in your face. Um, It is that time of year. I've been getting a lot of preschool-related illnesses. They're just hitting me like a Mack truck, like a little three-foot-tall Mack truck. So I'm trying to power through. Um, I appreciate you bearing with me, but. Today is a really special episode. You know we don't have a lot of guests on, um, but this one was one that I thought would be really, really relevant to you guys. Dr. Stephanie Estima is joining us today. She is a world-renowned women's health expert. She focuses on improving health span, lifespan, and optimal performance through a deep understanding of neuroscience, metabolism, nutrition, and exercise physiology. She helps women make informed choices on evidence-based health strategies and tools. That sounds a lot like what we do over here on Muscle Science for Women, so it's kind of a no-brainer. I've been following uh, Stephanie, and we've been kind of internet social media friends for a while she's another fellow Canadian she's based in Toronto and I just love everything she does she's all about again just evidence-based facts (laughs) and lifting weights and feeling good in your body and understanding how your body works I'm just a huge fan of that method of fitness and wellness. She is the best-selling author of The Betty Body and she's also host of a podcast herself, The Better Podcast with Dr. Stephanie, which I hope to be a guest on relatively soon here. So we're going to talk about all the things you want to talk about and you want to hear about from an expert. We're going to talk about HRT for women, right? Which we've touched on on the podcast. We're going to talk about health and fitness and wellness for women in their 40s and beyond when things start to just kind of change, maybe imperceptibly, maybe big time for people as they enter into their 40s. Things that are different, ways you can respond to it. We talk about the impact of our hormones during our entire life cycle. We talk about sexism in the fitness industry, which I love being able to talk about with other people. It's just... It's just so refreshing. We talk about her favorite exercises. Um, so I'm really, really excited to dive into this. I really hope you enjoy it. And I'm gonna put all of her information and links to her book and her podcast and everything in the show notes. So you can go and learn more from Stephanie because she's amazing. So without further ado, I'm gonna cut this off here. But one more quick thing, the Primal Health Coach Institute is the sponsor of today's podcast. And I'm not even gonna talk about that right now, but because of the timing of this episode, I just wanted to let you know that they are doing a how to become a health coach virtual summit from November 6th to the 10th. It's free, and there's gonna be over 30 health coaches, marketing experts, including Mark Sisson himself, the OG of this whole thing, and myself, because I am um, a health coach. And we are going to be talking about how to build the business, how to grow the business, how to find the health coaching practice that works best for you. It's really cool. So it's a free five-day summit, um, and I'll provide the link for you to sign up in the show notes as well. I hope you join me. I think it's going to be super fun, and we can all learn a little bit together. So that's it. Here is my awesome chat with the amazing Dr. Stephanie Estima. All right, Stephanie, here we are. Finally, I appreciate it. I I'm so excited to chat with you, uh, for anybody who is listening, you know, this has been a long time coming for me. I've been following you for a while and it was one of those like classic social media things where, you know, I don't know, mutual friends, whatever. We just sort of find each other and I'm like, I love everything you're doing. I love the messaging. I just love what you're about. And I knew we would have some good conversations. So I appreciate you taking the time to come on and chat with me about some things.
1: Well, let me tell you, I am tickled that we're doing this because as you mentioned, it's just been, it's been a minute. Yeah. There's been a lot of things going on and yeah. I am so excited to be spending the next, however long it is, however many minutes, hours yeah. with you today.
0: I have a feeling maybe we're going to do this more than once, but you know, we'll, we'll see how, what we get through um, in this chat. Awesome. Oh. Before I get into kind of some of the more like specific questions that I have for you and like discussion topics that I want us to dive into, I would love for you to just kind of give our audience just a little bit of like the elevator pitch of who you are and what you do now. Like what does your day-to-day work look like today?
1: Sure. Yeah. It's actually changed quite a bit. So mm-hmm. uh, started off uh, for 16 years. I was in private practice as a doctor of chiropractic. So did the whole private practice, the functional rehab, the movement and kin, and all the things that come along with um, uh, with being a chiropractor, and fell in love. Even actually before I was accepted into chiropractic school, my undergrad I was doing neuroscience and psychology. That's my those those are my two uh, majors in university, and just had this love affair with the brain. So chiropractic, of course, is the study of the neuromusculoskeletal system. So it's a really nice um, pairing. And so spent a lot of time, um, in practice, started running nutrition programs without getting into the whole backstory of, you know, the philosophy of chiropractic. We look at things from a physical perspective, obviously you might see a chiropractor for headaches or low back pain or, or, you know, movement, you know, aberrant movement mechanics, whatever it is. Um, But there's also a chemical component to that. So that might be diet, that might be um, the medications that you're taking or not taking, the supplements that you're taking or not taking. So we started running nutrition programs in the clinic, very quickly noticed a difference in prognosis between men and women. So... um, I had I was running a ketogenic program at the time in the clinic, and men would just drop it like it's hot. It was just like a week in, and they're like, "Doc, this is the best. I've lost ten pounds." And you know, his wife would kind of walk in, you know, head, you know, tail between her legs, kind of thing, and like, "I don't. We're eating the same stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I've adjusted for calories, and I've lost a pound. This sucks. I feel my my menstrual cycle is this way, and I feel like you know my mood is dropped, and I can't sleep, and." So anyway, started started um, changing the uh, way that we were doing the program for men and women. It started bleeding into, pun intended, started bleeding into the way that I practice as well. So I would start to change the way I was adjusting patients and rehabbing patients based on where they were in their cycle. Hmm. Uh, we'll get into why that is, I'm sure, um, as we get into it. And then, you know, after 16 years of being in practice, um, I think not all doctors uh, get there, but I certainly sort of reached a point where I felt like I was limited to the geography of where I was practicing. So I was practicing in downtown Toronto, uh, Canada, and uh, just wanted to reach, I mean, we had people kind of driving in from sort of the neighboring cities and stuff, but just wanted to reach people on a bigger um, platform, specifically Mm -hmm. with nutrition and female centric practices. So in April 2019, closed the clinic, went all in for online, started a podcast, all the things, um, and sort of leads me up to where we are um today which is primarily my work now is centered around the podcast. I am an eternal learner, so I absolutely love prepping for shows as I'm sure you do uh, mm-hmm. as well. Just you know, I know that a guest is coming on. I want to learn everything about their body of work for my audience but also selfishly for myself. Mm-hmm. Um and then currently like you know at the time of this recording um the nutrition program that I had sort of put out. It's in need of a bit of a zhuzh. So I feel like it's incomplete at this point for women at different points in their life. So when I had originally uh, written the program, it was primarily focused on women in their fertile years. So those women who were still cycling, Mm -hmm. I think that we need to also put in a caveat for perimenopausal women. And then there needs to be sort of like a section, if you will, for perimenopausal women, another section for menopausal women, and then on top of that, if I'm being truthfully, if I'm being honest and open and transparent, I don't want it to just be nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, nutrition has been a huge part of my life, my whole life, but so has fitness and rehab and and movement mechanics. And I want to integrate fitness into uh, and exercise and and rehab and prehab uh, into into the program. So that's kind of my my dream right now is to sort of relaunch that in within the next year. So I'm I'm starting to work on that right now.
0: Okay. Very cool. It, the timing of your, uh, your kind of switch was very fortuitous. Did you, when this happened, were you like, what were you like? I mean, of course it was stressful anyway, were you like, maybe this actually worked out like real well when you think about it?
1: I am so grateful. Yeah. Uh, I actually, what had happened was my landlord approached me because they wanted to buy me out because there was a big spa that was coming into the, we were in an area called King West. If anybody knows mm-hmm. Toronto, it's sort of like a, you know, maybe a bougie sort of, you know area. And there was a spa coming in from Spain and he wanted to take over my lease. And I was already feeling that pull to close down the clinic anyway. So it was just really great timing. And then, you know, Mm -hmm. nine months or eight months later, I guess the pandemic hit. So I feel very fortunate because that would have been, it would have been an awful predicament to not have been open because chiropractors were unfortunately not considered essential workers at the time. Um, so I dodged a huge bullet and I am grateful for that every, every day.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, the movement mechanic side, I feel like we could have like a whole separate podcast about, and it's something that I'm personally struggling with. So I might just like bug you Let's about it, do it later. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Already there's a part two and maybe we'll yeah. have you. So I also just, just because I'm saying this to your audience, you need to come on my show as well. So I'm we're going to figure out after, after we're done, you'll have, you'll come on my show and we'll talk.
0: Yes, I appreciate okay. that. Um, okay, so before we get into again, you you covered a lot of stuff just there, and there are some things I want to ask you, but I've made some notes here of some things that I want to chat about. And yeah, the the research your guest thing, like I've been in this podcasting game for a while. You have, we both have good podcasts that I think people like trust and respect. And like the amount of times that I have either been a guest on a show or I've been listening to other people, where it's like it's extremely apparent that the host Doesn't know anything, and I'm just like, like hasn't sucks, even dude. opened
1: the book that the that the
0: authors. <laughs> but they're <laughs> not even remote. like trying to fake it. They're not even like so. Anyway, on page sixty two, they're like, yeah. So you yeah. wrote a book, right? Did you write a book? What's the yeah. book? And I'm like,
1: yeah, dude. Yeah.
0: Like, give me a break. Like, anyway, yeah. that that kind of stuff pisses me off too. So totally <laughs> I'm
1: with you I, on that. It's so funny because in podcast prep, of course, you listen. I at least I read the book or. I'll listen to other people's podcasts sort of see what the main talking points of the author have been so that I can, you know, we can kind of get those over with in the beginning and then kind of get into some like juicier stuff. And you're right. There's so, we won't name names, but there's a couple of guys out in the podcasting world that they just sit down and they're like, so what's up?
0: Tell me, tell me, (laughs) you know, yeah. Tell Um, me, what's your name again? Yeah, And (laughs) and to your point, like, I, I feel like I literally at this point podcast to learn and it just so happens that great. I get to share it with other people and they get to learn too. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a labor of love podcasting and writing books to be completely honest. You got to really want to do it because it's not always the easiest or most direct road, you know? Um, They're
1: both like birthing children. I think it's, it's like they're long game plays, right? So I think with the podcast in particular, this is a very long play. I likened my first book, uh, you've, um, you know, you have a couple of books um, yeah. under your belt. Uh, I, my first book, really did feel like I was laboring a child. So, you know, you're pregnant with the idea for however, you know, many months or years that you have the idea and this conception that you, this the concept that you have, and then there's the conception, and then you're writing, and then you're rewriting, and then it comes time where you have like the deadline. Your editor's like, it needs to be in here, and then the editor goes through it, and you're, it's so. There's moments where it's fast and furious. And then there's moments where you're sitting at the computer, your eyes could be bleeding and nothing is feeling, nothing is coming out. Uh, and it just kind of, I mean, for me, it was very analogous to birthing my child because there were moments where it was like fast and furious and there's dilating and everything is happening and then nothing. And then you're like, all right, I'll take a lap around, it's like walk around the, the corridor and mm-hmm. I'll get my husband to massage my sacrum and I'll do some breathing exercises. And then it's like fast and furious again and then nothing. Mm-hmm. And finally, the baby's here, the book baby, um, and then you sort of have to get you know you go right on into you know as a mother you go right on into whether it's breastfeeding or full on mom mode, mm-hmm. and then with the po- when the book is sort of finally here, it's like you're doing podcast tours and you're doing so it's, it's ve- for me it's very very analogous to uh, to a child.
0: I I would agree with that and add on to it that yeah to your point of like what comes after the birth it's like we spend so much time focusing on like get the book written get the baby here. And then you don't think about like, oh, this is my life now. I have to like be with this book or this Mm -hmm. baby. It's like all the work comes after you write the damn thing and it's out there in the world. But anyway, it's funny because people ask me, I don't know if you, how you feel, but they're like, oh, you know, would you write X, Y, Z book or another cookbook? And I'm like, I'm not. I'm it's the, the same mood. with children. They're like, so you can have another one? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm, hands are full with what I got right now. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So one very kind of specific question that I wanted to ask, because I just feel like this could be a, a spicy conversation. In your book, The Betty Body, you mention why morning routines are sexist. And yes. let let's just dive right into it. Dive okay. right in. Talk to me.
1: Yeah, this, this came from sort of years of frustration, um, as a podcaster, but also even prior to as an avid podcast listener, listening primarily to, and even I would argue even to this day, uh, some of the biggest podcasts are, you know, at least in the health space. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that this, this transcends other categories are men. And that's not to say that the men that are sort of at the, at the top don't deserve to be there. Of course they do. Um, I would just like to see uh, more females sort of included in the conversation. And what I, as a podcast listener, what I was uh, hearing all the time is, you know, you have to every morning, you know, you have to wake up at, you know, three in the morning or four in the morning. It's like, join the 5 a.m. club, join the 4 a.m. club. And it just seemed to get more and more and more ridiculous. And it was like, you know, there's a picture, you know, we're not going to name names, but there's, you know, guys that would be taking pictures at four in the morning, like sweat pooled all over the floor. And they're like, yeah, did you even work out yet, bro? And it's like, okay. So there's that. And it's like, and then you have to, you know, have your journaling uh, practice. And then you, you know, you do that with this tea that you've imported from Japan and then you, it's just all this stuff. And for me, for, I mean, you're, you're in the throes of sort of toddlerhood. Uh, let's say right now for me, for many years, my morning routine was my toddler kind of like toddling into my room and waking me up Mm -hmm. because I was so sleep deprived either from breastfeeding or the baby had a nightmare or, baby came into mommy's room overnight or, you know, whatever it was. Right. So I always felt like I could never keep up with this standard of, you know, morning routines are for high achievers. And I, I identify as a high achiever, but I also identify as a mother and a woman. So I wrote this chapter because I just wanted my hope anyway my intention was to uh, have a little bit of shock value for people to be like what what does she mean they're sexist and also to give women permission to sleep in for a variety of reasons one is that we are typically the primary caregivers in the home we are the we sort of take care of the bulk of unpaid work right so mm. we go to we go to work we make bank and then we come home and we're doing the laundry and the cooking and the soccer schedules and the you know taking care of sick children etc cetera, etc cetera. not that men don't ever do it but just primarily that those roles and responsibilities typically fall on the female. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is women actually require more sleep than men. This is something that's also not, you know, women are often excluded from studies. But some of the things that we know now is that women have a longer sleep cycle than men do, mm-hmm. Some like sometimes up to 30 minutes. So if you go through, you know, we we understand the regular sleep cycle to be about 90 minutes, so if you go through three or four or five cycles of that over the course of an evening, uh, over the course of a night, um, and a female is going to have somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes longer, and she's sleeping in the bed with a male who's probably going to wake up earlier, the, earlier than her for his, either his morning routine or just naturally, you know, she needs a little bit more sleep than he does couple that with pregnancy, couple that with the, you know, the physical labor, the chemical labor of giving birth to children, and it takes years to sort of correct that, you know, we're kind of at a disadvantage. And you hear these well-known, well-respected podcasters talking about how morning routines are the way to set you up for success. And it often leaves... Half the population feeling like a bunch of losers. So, um, at least that's been my experience and what has been communicated to me by my community, which is primarily female. Mm -hmm. So, that's sort of why I wrote the book was yeah, like morning routines in general are sexist. If your morning routine one day is that you go downstairs and you find your way to the coffee machine and you get the coffee, you know, you press the button or however you make your coffee and it's made and that's your morning routine before you start. Like some days that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: I feel extremely seen and I have a lot of things to say. First of all, does it even count as sleeping in if you were the one who got up four times in the middle of the night to breastfeed and deal with the kid? I mean, you're not even sleeping in. You're just trying to catch up, first of all. Second of all, to your point about the podcast situation, I think one of the tough things is that we still, as a culture, we when we see you know, the typical 38-year-old white male fitness podcast host, whatever, the avatar, we kind of think of that person as they could very well be an authority figure, and we inherently kind of trust what they have to say. And when we see a woman, we think, okay, that's women's issues. That's women's issues. So of course, we might still be interested in hearing that podcast, but To get so large, to get to be the top two or three podcasts, you have to appeal to everybody. And even if our podcasts appeal to everyone, people still consider, because we look at whatever the issue is through a female lens, that it's going to be a woman podcast, a female podcast about girl stuff, which is typically not as appreciated as it should be, which still is kind of false. I mean, both of our podcasts are geared towards women, but we, I mean, I i know that I have male um, listeners. I'm sure you do too. And we yeah. cover topics that are not only relevant for all genders, but also would be good information for men who have women in their life to know. It's
1: like, it's for the women and the men who love them. Like how, how much of an unfair advantage is a guy who understands, let's say cycles, or the changes that happen in perimenopause or what an unfair advantage you have on the dating scene. Just Mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And -hmm. I mean, you know, my podcast is more geared towards, you know, again, sort of strictly like nutrition and health information for women who are looking to improve their health. And so a lot of coaches find their way to this podcast and dude, like male coaches, you need to know this stuff. If you're dealing with yeah. women clients, you need to understand women's bodies. It's like, this isn't, this shouldn't be like a specialty thing anymore. Um, that's just that part of it sucks for me.
1: But. And like, stop, stop. If you are a male coach or a female coach, stop putting your clients on 1200 calories, I can't. stop putting them on 1200 calories and stop training them like men, like Women don't need to build out their chest and their triceps. Like, we need, you know, we want to, think, I mean, maybe that's a separate conversation. We'll but get to that we I have a note about that.
0: <laughs> okay. 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 Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. And like, That's the other thing too, is that we, again, as the other, which in a a world where there are 50% women, we are still kind of considered like a specialty case when we're dealing with women's issues. But we look at all of these things, health and nutrition and wellness through the lens of of women, but also the larger world. So we know how men's bodies work generally. And we also know how women's bodies work, hopefully. Men and the, the men who are running these huge nutrition sites and these podcasts and stuff, they don't have to know about us because they can still kind of speak to men and they can sell programs and sell plenty of programs to women. Again, I don't want this to be like a throwing people under the bus. So we're not going to name names. We love men,
1: by the way. Like I have, I have sons, you know, like we love men. I'm surrounded by them. Great. And and also, and also,
0: you know, Mm. there's a, there's a very large, um, nutrition. Well, no fit more fitness podcast out there that they have some fitness programs and the amount of women, potential women clients that come to me that say, I got this program from this group. And I'm just like, what about them made you think that they were talking to you? Because they in no way cater to women or women's experiences or women's needs or goals or whatever. But because they're big, because they're popular, women are like, well, I guess, I mean, this is trusted. This is what I should do instead of trying to find the client, or the program, or the coach, or the program, or whatever that is actually geared towards them. It just and then sucks. what does that
1: woman do? What does that woman do when that when that program fails her? Does she say they hey, failed? Exactly. They don't say hey, maybe the program wasn't designed for me. Mm-hmm. They say what's wrong with me? Why can't I ever make anything stick? There's something inherently broken about my constitution that makes me unable to adhere to this program that has been set out for me.
0: Yep yep and i mean we just it's funny that you're like i love this kind of morning routine is sexist thing because we my co-host rachel and i we literally just did an episode where we were talking about the 75 hard you know this challenge oh
1: yeah um it should never be done by women But anyway okay. right but like nobody yeah.
0: people don't want to hear that and people will <laughs> yeah. bristle against that and like well why can't i do it i can't i can work hard women can work hard yeah i mean arguably we work hard 100 right, yeah. but in different yes. ways yeah and and also like, you know, the the getting up at four and and leaving a sweat angel, like, is that is that moving you in the direction you want to go? Yes, it might feel like you worked hard. And yes, you may be exhausted afterwards. But is that supporting your actual health? I mean, I just had um a potential client reach out to me today, and she was she was super, super upset and frustrated because she is three months postpartum. And unhappy with how she looks and feels, and is talking about she's exclusively breastfeeding Gosh. and talking about how she wants to restrict some food or think about how she can get. And I'm like, my friend, uh,
1: it's like, Mama,
0: yeah. where does
1: this voice come from?
0: Please just give yourself mm. a break. Right. And it's so, mm. it's so difficult to like embody that and hear it. But I, I mean, I really feel like my biggest gift that I gave myself, and I had, I had the luxury and the ability to do this as like an older mom and in in a job that was a bit more flexible, but postpartum, I was like, there is no part of me that is trying to bounce back and get abs and go back to the gym immediately. Zero part of me is trying to do that. This is a different phase in my life. This is a time when I'm focusing on a different kind of physical goal and spending time with my kid. And there was literally zero part of me. And this is somebody who has spent my entire adult life in the fitness industry. And Caring about what I look like and spending all of my time focusing on my own health, and I was able to switch like that to like I don't care what I look like. I mean, of course, I'm going to take care of myself, but my goal is not how fast I can bounce back and be myself again, be in the gym. My goal is like learning this new life and bonding Mm -hmm. with my kid and taking care of my kid. And I just wish that more people
1: attitude. I wish more people. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. And how can we? I mean, this is. I mean, this is one of my whole like reasons for doing my job is to try to help women like really hear it and really feel it. Because the, the, the tricky thing about it is that it's like the Bruce Lee, like slow is smooth and smooth is fast. If you actually kind of slow it down and care more about the foundational, like let's nourish my body again. Let's try to manage the stress. Let's try to get the sleep. Let's try to move our bodies in, in, in simple, easy ways. First, you actually end up in the long run, getting back to where you want to be probably quicker than if you try to bust your ass twelve weeks postpartum. You know,
1: one hundred percent.
0: I think there's also
1: a panic. There's sort of yeah. an underlying, you know, to your, you know, to the point about the client that reached out to you today. I think there's almost this underlying, like, oh my god, am I going to look like this forever? Like, I have mm-hmm. to do something about it right now. And I think that there's a little bit of. Uh, in the same way that when we're injured, if you have an injury, let's say it's like, is this pain ever going to go away? Is it, you know, I think that sometimes our experience of pain is the anticipation of more pain <laughs> rather than the actual signal itself. And I think there's there's maybe a comparison there to be made when someone is not at a weight that they want. It's like, oh my god, am I going to be here forever? Like, right. is this my new thing? Versus you know, what is a far more balanced, far more loving and nourishing approach, which is I'm just going to move my, I've had, I've made a human. I know that it's simple work, but I have made another person. So there has been a huge physical ask of me. My hips have separated. (laughs) My abs have separated. My organs have moved all around the place to make room for this child. Um, And I have passed this baby, you know, for those of you that have had vaginal birth, I've passed this baby through my birth canal. Um, Yeah. So there's a, there's a big physical ask, there's a big chemical ask, right? Like all your nutrients, like we know that we see leaching of calcium. We see leaching of all of our nutrients as pregnant women go to the baby. And of course the emotional and spiritual, you know, it's like, there ain't no hood like motherhood, you know, Mm, (laughs) one one of those places where you are constantly worrying. Am I making the right choice? Am I doing the right thing? Is this for my own ego is this my own trauma patterns that I'm now passing forward to my child tra- like all this stuff is all mm-hmm. like ever present. So just can we can yeah. we can we just slow it down a little bit? it, you know, and I think that there's we don't have to talk about Hollywood. I'm not a huge fan of sort of some of the um precedents that's set there in terms of female um, you know, you have celebrities who have chefs and, you know, they're starving themselves and they're, you know, and they have all these different, um, you know, resources that are available to them. And then they, we see the post baby, the three months, look at her, she's got abs and she's, you know, with her twins or whatever, whatever it is. Um, and all I ate was an app. I had apple and fish for two, you know, I had one apple and one filet and fish for six weeks and Amen. that are 12 weeks. And that's how I, it's like, okay, well, you didn't breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and you've leached, like it's been way more stressful it'll be way more stressful. And I would, I would argue more deleterious health consequences down the line Mm
0: -hmm. when you treat
1: your body like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, their life is not our life. So to try to compare it is ridiculous from the outset, but even from a common sense approach, what, what on earth would lead us to believe that something that took 10 months to Mm -hmm. form and then you know come out into the world would it would just be fixed in 3 months if we just yeah. kind of restrict our food enough it's just wild but anyway yeah. I, you know that is a rabbit hole we could go down but i just um, I think it was worth
1: mentioning. Yeah, worth yeah. mentioning for the ladies who are listening and maybe struggling where where you are right now. Yes, we, we see you. Yeah.
0: Yes, we see you, and we feel you. And but I think that one of the areas I want to talk about a bit more because you have more knowledge in this area than than I do personally, and it is something that that comes up so often with my listeners, is talking about how to optimize your your fitness and how good you look and how good you feel as you enter sort of your 40s perimenopause, that whole deal. Um, And I've done some sort of foundational research and some, you know, I'm I'm trying to do some work on my own because I really am trying to help support my clients and, and kind of have these conversations. But women in their 40s are stressed out and overworking themselves and confused and are I feel like the vast majority of the clients and the women that I'm talking to are of this mind of just like, oh, what I'm doing isn't working. I'm just gonna grind and do it even harder. And then it keeps not working and then they just keep grinding harder. And you know, so often my, my very basic response is like, okay, let's just take it back a notch. Let's just think about sleep. Let's just think about going for walks. Let's think about eating enough food because you're eating 900 calories a day. Whatever, and it's so difficult. It's so difficult for them to even try it, right? Um, it doesn't have to be this hard, right? Talk to me.
1: Yeah, this is uh, this is where I love to geek out. So I think that mm-hmm. there's there's a couple things happening for women uh, in our 40s. Um, I would say, from a metabolic perspective, from a hormonal perspective, from an environmental perspective, uh, in terms of life stressors. So. Let's talk. Let's start maybe with uh, hormones, like sex hormones, uh, in particular. So, um, prior to forty, and I would even argue, kind of starting mid thirties, we do start to see some changes in our sex hormone concentration. Usually, in our thirties, it's not enough for most women to really notice it. But the what the one of the first changes that we see with our cycle, if you are measuring regularly, which by the way, highly recommend for you to be getting lab work done if you can at the very minimum of once a year, but once every six months is ideal. But what we see is starting in mid to late thirties, we start to see a very gradual and steady decline in a hormone called progesterone. So pro that's the pro-pregnancy hormone, it shows up in the second half of the cycle. So once we ov- ovulate, you have to ovulate in order to produce progesterone. It doesn't just show up because you're on day 16. <laughs> you, have to, mm-hmm. you have to ovulate, which is maybe uh, there's some complexity in there. But let's assume that we have a woman who's ovulating. We see progesterone starting to rise in that third week and it reaches its peak around day uh, call it 21, 22 for, for extrapolating to a 28 day cycle. So about, you know, end of week three, beginning of week four ish for most women. But in our forties, we start to see that hormone decline. And in the, in our thirties, we don't necessarily, we might not necessarily notice it. Although there are some women who are like, yeah, I feel, I really feel my body changing. I'm 38, I'm 39, I'm 40, I'm 41. Um, in our early forties, the consequence uh, let's say the hormonal consequence of having that progesterone steadily decline year over year is now in that second half of the cycle, post ovulation, we can run, the layman's term is estrogen dominance. It's a bit of a misnomer. What it really means is that relative to progesterone, we have more estrogen in the luteal phase of the cycle, but that's a really big mouthful. So mm-hmm. we often just say estrogen dominance. And what that means um, of course, is estrogen has two big rises in the cycle. There's one big rise in the follicular phase before we ovulate. Um, and that needs to happen for about 50 hours. It's developing the follicle, et cetera. And then it drops off right before we ovulate. And then it, there's a secondary but gentler rise in the, in the luteal phase of the cycle, the second half of the cycle. When our progesterone is not as high as or doesn't rise higher than um, our estrogen levels do, then we can start to get things like raging PMS. So this is uh, extreme moodiness, sleep disturbances, inflammation. So a lot of women uh, will describe like, you know, if they're trying to put on their rings, like they have mm. so much water retention, they can't fit, you know, can't fit their rings on, let's say, or ju- like jewelry that you might put on your hand. Some of your, some of your beautiful jewelry mm. might not be able nice to plug. fit. Nice plug.
0: Thank you. problem. <laughs> <laughs> <You're
1: welcome. laughs> By the way, uh, just as an aside, I love those earrings Thank the you. the barbell earrings. They are so nice. I'm I, I don't know if I should do this, but I sleep in them because they're. I so, do. OK, I sleep in them mine and out. they don't bother me. And then I can just go to the gym and I already have some jewelry on. OK, so back to the appreciate honesty.
0: you. Thank you. Yes.
1: Yeah. All right. So um, your rings are not fitting. Um, and then you're just generally uh, I described it. So in the Betty Body, I talked about my own sort of um. Difficulties with estrogen dominance. I described it as like angry breasts. Like my breasts felt like really angry with me. T shirts, putting anything kind of over the aerial area, very, mm-hmm. very tender and, and hot. So you might start to notice um, that. Um, the other problem, of course, with that uh, is when estrogen goes unchecked. So progesterone kind of keeps estrogen in check. So as we see progesterone rise in the blue phase of the cycle, we will down regulate the estrogen receptor sensitivity. And we also just downregulate total concentration of estradiol. And this is important because we want like kind of the golden rule of estrogen is use it and then lose it, right? We don't want estrogen. There's certain metabolites of estrogen, which we won't go into. um, But for the geeks that are listening, I'm talking about 4-hydroxyestradiol and 4-hydroxyestrone. These retain the ability to activate uh, estrogen receptors in the breast, and they shut down um, the ability for bone to remodel itself in the mm-hmm. in the skeletal system. So this is kind of a really bad, you never want cell proliferation and division unchecked in the breast, right? Mm-hmm. For women.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then you also want the bones to be able to remodel themselves, especially as we get into our 40s, where we start to see a we, you know, even though I've been talking about sort of a lower progesterone, estrogen also starts to kind of come down as well. So we have these. You know, estrogen is an anabolic hormone. It's involved in, as I mentioned, cell proliferation and division. Um, we want our bones to be able to remodel themselves. And we'll maybe we'll talk about osteoblasts in class in, on a different time. But basically, when we are leaving estrogen unchecked, we are shutting down osteoblasts, which is the bone cells that are involved in. Uh, new bone, like these are the bone cells that are involved in cell division. Mm -hmm. And what happens as a net result is over time, we have more osteoclastic activity. So it's CL osteoclastic, which is breaking down. So we are breaking down more bone than we are creating. That's a problem. That's a Mm -hmm. problem for women. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of spelling out osteoporosis down the horizon. If you sort of like take it all, if you sort of, you know, extrapolate a long Delta, that's, you know, we're talking about osteopenia, at least initially, and then eventually osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sort of one of the primary things that we start to see um, in our 40s from a sex hormone perspective. From a metabolic perspective, there are many things, but one of the most important things I think to highlight is that naturally we become more um, insulin insensitive um, as we age. Now there are many reasons why this happens. One of them, which I'm sure you talk about a lot on the show, is a loss of mu- a loss of lean muscle mass as we age. If we are not careful, if we are not strategically, uh, at least um, I would say, doing some sort of calisthenics, but ideally resistance training, uh, we are losing one percent of lean muscle mass per year, starting yeah. in our 40s, and it's you know some argue like kind of starting when that progesterone declines like mid thirties. So over the course of your forties, you can lose 10% of your muscle mass. And then, you know, it continues if you're not
0: doing anything. I'm interrupting this incredible and informative podcast to tell you about today's show sponsor, the Primal Health Coach Institute. If you're a health, fitness, wellness, strength coach, any of the above, or you want to become one, or you're just looking for some relevant continuing education, this is for you. So the Primal Health Coach Institute, which is spearheaded by the godfather of primal and ancestral fitness and health, none other than Mark Sisson, is actually where I got my coaching start. In fact, I was one of the first 50 people to become certified through this coaching organization. And now flash forward to today, years later, I recently released my very own certification course through their platform, the Strength Training for Women Specialist Certification that I'm really, really proud of. And this course is for coaches of all genders, anyone who works with women, And in the course, we're diving deep in the physiological, hormonal, cultural, and myriad other aspects that directly impact women's ability to build strength and muscle. We're also working to debunk the misconceptions and misinformation that so many women, and unfortunately, so many coaches have been working under for so long. So the course is meant to help you learn how to advise and really deeply understand how to optimize nutrition recovery, hormonal health, um, language, you know, mental health, attitude, and of course the training uh, for your female clients. So that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg, but my course isn't the only one they offer. They have a range of specialist courses on things like gut health. They also have their flagship primal health coach certification, which I have taken, and I recommend to anyone who's looking to acquire a good base of knowledge. And your registration in any of these courses also comes with a ton of resources, downloads, things you can give your clients. It's really, really uh, an amazing platform. And I feel so strongly about this coaching organization that I developed a course for them. So they have decided to give my listeners a 25% discount, either for my course, the Strength Training for Women Specialist Certification, or for their flagship Primal Health Coach Certification. So all you have to do is go to primalhealthcoach.com forward slash msw that'll be in the show notes and uh you can use the uh, promo code msw25 for either of those courses at checkout go learn uh you won't regret it it's an amazing amazing platform and the courses are great if i do say so myself so go check it out learn something and uh now back to the show And if I could just interject really quickly for a lot of women who were never encouraged or never directed to build muscle when they were younger, you're starting with not a lot of muscle to begin with, which I mean,
1: think of the women who are in their forties. Now we all sort of grew up. I mean, we all grew up in this like high, let me say it right. High carb, low fat sort of era and then aerobics mom, was like aerobics I was a step teacher that's how I paid partly for partially for chiropractic schools, like high low tybo <laughs> if anyone remembers that mm-hmm. step aerobics like it was all about aerobic training and even though I've lifted weights um, my whole life I also wasn't lifting heavy I wasn't lifting heavy when I was in Uh, chiropractic school or, you know, I've really, it's it's really only more of a recent phenomenon for me, like maybe in the last 10, maybe 15 years. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So we have this insulin resistance. Okay. So that means that you are going to have more plasma. So insulin is basically, for those of you that don't know, it is a hormone that drives it takes substrate from the, from the plasma and then pushes it into the cell so that the cell can now utilize, it's usually glucose. It can also be amino acids, free fatty acids, but it's primarily amino acids and glucose. It pushes it into the cell so that the cell can now make energy. So if you have a lot, let's say, let's use glucose because it's the easy one. We have glucose sort of circulating in the plasma, in the blood. Um, and you're, pancreas, which is where insulin is made, it's going to say, Oh, there's, there's glucose here. Okay. So we're going to, in, we're going to increase our insulin output. And if you are, um, in your forties and you have low muscle mass, let's say you haven't, as you were saying, you don't actually have a lot of muscle mass to begin with. Um, there's going to be a bit of, uh, insensitivity in particular, starting in the muscle. We know this from some of the work of Dr. Uh, Gerald Schulman, uh, demonstrating that insulin resistance actually starts in the muscle. So it is the muscle's inability to acquire glucose and then store it as glu- as glycogen, uh, which is the storage form of glucose, because the muscles will take the glucose, phosphorylate it, and then they don't allow it back into the uh, into the system, right? So it's the muscle's inability to acquire and store glucose that's the problem. So you still have this sort of Uh, systemic output of insulin. And now all of your cells, and I would argue particularly your liver, is now being exposed to very high levels of insulin. And what happens? Well, then we start to get systemic or global insensitivity and where this becomes very dangerous of course is when the liver now is exposed to high levels of insulin we will start the liver has to do something right so it ha it's there's lots of plasma glucose there's a high insulin environment and now we start to see a uh the the development of something called NAFLD or non-alcoholic fatty liver disease Mm -hmm. it's not just the liver it's all the vis it's all the organs but NAFLD is the one we sort of want to Uh, hone in on because the liver is a really important organ for metabolism, for function, for life. Um, And you'll also start to see a change in your lipid profile. So we will now the liver is going to start outputting higher levels of triglycerides, higher levels of VLDLs. I'd hate the word bad cholesterol, but Mm -hmm. just, you know, kind of more inflammatory, more easily oxidized, let's say, uh, lipoproteins um, in the blood. So, the other thing that a lot of women notice in their forties is a change in their lipid status. Like Mm. for maybe their total cholesterol or the LDLs or the triglycerides or whatever was fine in their twenties and thirties. And now we have this muscle, we have this uh, muscle loss, we have this insulin insensitivity, and now we have this sort of accumulation of fat. And and this is, and a lot of women will actually complain of weight redistribution um, in their forties and fifties where they'll say, you know, I used to be packing it on, like I used to have a lot of junk in the trunk. Like I used to have a lot of weight in like my butt or, you know, lower tummy or thighs or whatever. And then now we start to see this like central adiposity, right? We start to see this kind of uh, midsection uh, uh, accumulation of Mm -hmm. fat, which for a woman is abnormal. Like women Mm -hmm. under the influence of estrogen, we should, even though we don't like it, but we should be putting fat. We should be more, uh, excuse me, more Mm -hmm. pear-shaped, meaning that we should be kind of, a bit more bottom heavy Mm -hmm. um, than sort of uh, apple. I'm using air quotes if you're, Mm -hmm. you know, like apple shaped, Mm -hmm. if you will, like more thick through the midline. Yep. Okay. So that's the metabolic. That's one of the major metabolic changes that we see. And then the last thing, which I think is really worth, maybe the most important thing, which is kind of driving and making everything worse is her environment. So in your forties and then certainly in your fifties, I like to call this like the stress sandwich. So we have like pressure from above where we have aging parents now that we are taking to doctor's appointments, maybe we're noticing there's some dementia. They have more pills that they have to take. We're kind of taking care of them. And then our children, if we've chosen to have children, we have pressure from the bottom. So now we have, you know, I'm in my 40s. I got some teenagers, you know, that are, God, I love my kids more than anything, but they have mouths on them <laughs> and they 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 think they know everything. I'm like, it's so amazing that you as a 13-year-old know more so than much, me. yeah, It's, it's so I'm so, I'm so grateful that you know more than me. So, you know, my kid, so you have like this oh. kind of pressure. I honestly feel like the parenting gets way, far more complicated in their teen years because now they have these outside sources. Like, whereas you, uh, you know, when they're two, five, seven, Excuse you're me. sort of the primary influence mm-hmm. on them. Mm-hmm. And then when they're teens, they want to hang out at the park. They want to go to the mall. They want to go out with their friends. And there's this outside influence that you don't have as much control over. So I think that that environmental pressure um, also also can contribute. I mean, this is like a high stress environment, right? So you can't eat, you can't move, you can't do the things that you were doing in your 20s. Like you may have fasted, you know, or done aggressive fasting and super cardio and all the things in your 20s. And maybe that helped you manage your weight, or maybe that helped you, you know, achieve whatever goal you were trying to achieve. It doesn't work in your 40s. Yeah, you got you got to change you got to change the plan. So I know that I've spoken forever. Um, I'm I'm sure you have you want to dissect some of that. Um, yeah, that's okay. kind of that's sort of that's sort of the overview. Let's say the quick and dirty of what's happening for a woman in her 40s.
0: Well, that was a masterclass. So thank you. I'm like my my toddler-adult brain is just like trying real hard to like hold on to everything and get the <laughs> questions that I want to ask you. But thank you for that. I think one of the big like high-level takeaways from this is for women listening to understand that what they're experiencing in their 40s, 50s is probably very common. You are not alone. And a lot of this is physiological, biological processes, as opposed to you doing something wrong or your body being defective. Our bodies are hormonally and in other ways more complex and they go through more stages and changes and ups and downs through our life cycle. And instead of, again, this very feminine trait of saying something's going wrong, it's my fault, I'm bad, everything I'm doing is wrong, or I'm weak, or I just am not doing it good enough or whatever. Instead, if we can just take a step back and through education and through understanding, learn to work with the changes that are inevitable in our bodies, instead of railing and fighting against them, I think we will all do so much better. So it's kind of, it sucks sometimes to hear things like, look, these hormonal changes are going to happen and they're going to have an impact on you. And here's how we mitigate it. It also might suck for people who have spent 20 years doing CrossFit workouts every day to be told, maybe that's not what's best for you anymore. But I think, again, it's like we have this tendency to just fight it, fight it, fight it instead of like-
1: There's a lot of white knuckling. Right? So
0: do you have any recommendations for how we can take this information and this reality, and again, mitigate the negative side effects? And if the answers are at a very basic level, you need to eat more protein, you need to eat more food, you need to spend more time on recovery and sleep and stress management, you need to honor your cycle rather than fight against it or ignore it. If those are some of the basic, you know, Recommendations. How do we get people to hear it? Spoken from a frustrated coach, how do we get people to hear it and do it instead of just say, hmm, that would probably work for other people, but I'm going to continue to eat 1,200 calories and do CrossFit workouts every day?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, as someone who's coached several women, it's the question that I will often ask and it's asked with love is, how's that working for you so far? Mm-hmm. How's that been working for you so far? You're yeah. miserable. You're putting on weight through your stomach. You're not sleeping anymore. You're screaming at your husband or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, whatever Mm -hmm. the situation is. Um, And I would I would hope um, for the clinicians that are listening, for the coaches that are listening, that hopefully you've built up enough rapport and trust Mm -hmm. with this woman that you can say, why don't we just try, why don't we just play? Like, can we Mm -hmm. lean a little bit into play for a moment? That's another thing that I think maybe it's a separate podcast altogether, but how can we, can we embody play, joy, childlike wonder? Um, But can we just play a little bit? I know we have this very rigid thing that you're following. um, And from, from what you're telling me, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's working for you. So why don't we just try something and if I'm wrong, we'll go back to the 1200 calories and the one egg and the four hours of cardio and the, you know, whatever it is. One I had, egg. I had, a woman, I had a woman, God bless this woman. I had a woman, she's like, I have one egg. Um, that's my breakfast. And I was like, okay, we got, we got to talk. Like yeah. <laughs> we got to talk. Yeah. Like, and I don't know why. And I don't know why I'm so hungry. I'm like, how many calories do you think are in an egg?
0: My goodness.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean. Anyway. So,
0: okay. What are your, what are your thoughts? And I know, again, this could be, I'm just trying to touch on so many big topics for like two minutes, but like HRT, is Mm. this something that I, I mean, I believe from what I know of it, it should be less stigmatized and more talked about with women's health than it currently is, but is it something that you would think of as maybe a last resort once lifestyle factors are sorted out? Or is it something that probably should be more common in terms of women's health maintenance as they enter their forties and fifties. What are your thoughts on, you know, hormone replacement? This is a
1: huge topic. Okay. So this is, this is a great question. I'm so happy you asked it. So I would say, I would say first, I'm a fan of HRT. So I think that it is absolutely, there are a lot of women who are unnecessarily suffering. And part of it, actually the majority of it is because we had this absolute dare I say, junk science, um, uh, study called the women's health initiative, mm-hmm. um, that manipulated data that had, I actually just did a solo episode on we this. We did too. On
0: that. Oh, <laughs> did you? We're vibing. Okay. We are we vibing. Literally, yeah, we, that's awesome. did, yeah.
1: So what was so, um, infuriating Um, about, I mean, there were many things that were infuriating about the WHI, but Mm -hmm. it primarily was the cohort that they chose. So it was like the subjects that they studied, uh, they were, you know, 65, the average age I think was like 65, 63, 65. So a full 10 years after the average age of menopause. um, I think, oh God, I forget the numbers. I had it all prepped for my solo, but it was like 50% of them were smokers. Yeah, And then 60% of them were obese. So it's like, if you could create the perfect storm for a cardiovascular event, mm-hmm. uh, you would have a smoker who was obese. And then of course we know age is a big factor, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a men typically, I mean, that is the, by the way, cardiovascular disease, number one killer in women, not breast cancer, not any other can't. nothing. It's cardiovascular disease. And in some cases it's more of a question of when, not if mm-hmm. we, ha, we are protected um, from heart disease through our fertile years under the influence of estrogen. Estrogen has many um, uh, sort of makes us metabolic superheroes in a way. Um, And so we do see uh, cardiovascular disease happen later in life in women, but there is a sort of almost like a 10 year kind of phasic shift, right? So we see the onset of CBD in men is around kind of 50, 55. And for women, it's like 60, 65. So the cohort (laughs) was just, It was a ticking time bomb. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing, which is, um, I want to say almost unbelievable, uh, but unfortunately it's true, um, is that they didn't include subjects who were symptomatic. So I just just want (laughs) to, I know that that sounds ridiculous, like she's making that up, but it's like, we wanted to study an intervention to see if HRT would help ameliorate some of the symptoms of menopause. And yet we excluded women who were symptomatic. And when I first read that, I was like, that can't be right. But make it make what, sense. Make it make sense. <laughs> exactly. Make it make sense. And that that's unfortunately what happened. They excluded women who were symptomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the reason why I go off on this little tangent is because they had, uh, they had sort of had this biased cohort, this, you know, a vertical yeah. of women that is going to already give you some bad results. Um, there were several revisions after the fact, but I think it was 2001 or 2002 when the original um, sort of report came out. Um, and they said, this needs to be stopped. It's, you know, increases uh, myocardial infarcts by, I can't remember the percentage. And then this sort of sent shock waves through the medical community. And this is probably why, And it still exists today, unfortunately, like we're in 2023 Mm -hmm. at the time of this recording. So there will be women that are listening to this that have spoken to their uh, primary care provider about hormone replacement therapy because they're suffering from hot sweats, hot hot flashes, I should say. Mm -hmm. They're sweating through the bed at night, like they're completely soaking the bed, even just more subtle changes like affect, like we tend to with that sort of drop in um, estrogens and testosterone's uh, more likely for more anxiety and more depression. Of course, reproductive challenges like sex becomes very painful because we're not lubricating as well as we should. Clitoral sensitivity anorgasmia, orgasmia, like all this, all this stuff happens. Okay. Um, and a lot of times the answer for women is like, well, Sorry, chickaboo. It's like, that's what what happens. Yeah, Yeah, it's what happens, right? Yeah. So you still have this sort of uh, perseveration around HRT being dangerous. Now, certainly, of course, there's going to always be out, like, if you've had breast cancer or you've had, you know, you have, there's like sort of an individual um, analysis that needs to happen with you and your primary. But I would say that HRT, all that to say is I'm a fan of HRT. I think Mm -hmm. it's stupid um, and ridiculous to think about longevity. And health span. Um, if we're not considering, I, like, I like to master in the masters. So I do think that lifestyle is important. So you need to get your nutrition right. You, like you had mentioned, increasing your protein, you do need to be resistance training, things have to change in your 40s, stress management, as you mentioned. And I also think that there's a place for HRT. I think that right. I think that that will help so many women. I mean, if you can't sleep at night, how are mm. you going to train? I mean, I, I know that I've had bad nights and, you know, transiently, I may be able to punch through a workout, but I can't do that mm-hmm. all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, if your yeah. libido has gone and you're depressed and you're not sleeping and you're gaining weight weirdly when you have never had this issue before, and yeah. you're 42, that's a long way to go. Feeling and you're being like told crap. it's all
1: in your head, or this is aging, or here's a script for God, the pill. I've had women in their 50s been given the script for the pill. I'm like, are you effing kidding me?
0: Unbelievable!
1: Another rabbit hole, maybe for another time. Or SSRIs are put on antidepressants mm-hmm. or antioxidants, like they're given anti-anxiety medication.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or, you know, when we see, I mentioned before, we see a change in lipid profile that might be put on a statin or something. So it's like now you have all these other things that are depleting our minerals, making us feel like sometimes our, our menstrual cycle is really shitty. Pardon my French. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I don't no, know you're, good. you're good. You're good. Uh, because we are mineral deficient or vitamin deficient. You know, sometimes replacing your B vitamins, you have a nice juicy steak or whatever, um, and you're going to feel
0: better. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts just very quickly on the difference between bioidentical versus synthetic hormones?
1: Okay, so bioidentical... Uh, the name itself is a bit of a marketing term. Like we're not harvesting progesterone from a crop somewhere. Like it is still made in a pharmaceutical somewhere. Um, I do think that, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of data on Premarin. Um, so that's, uh, pregnant mare urine, if I remember the Mm -hmm. acronym correctly, I think there's like 60 or 70 years of data on it. So it's relatively safe. I would choose if I if I had to choose I would choose the bioidentical still made in a pharma still made somewhere in a facility but I'd still choose the uh estradiol and the progesterone that is bioidentical over progestin um any day of the week although there is a lot of data to suggest that it's safe I think that the the other, sort of component, why I would choose bioidenticals over sort of more of a synthetic version, is we see um, at least progestin, uh, we do see uh, depletion of CoQ10, we see depletion of B6 and B12, we see selenium and zinc, and all these sort of minerals are really depleted with it. And there's some there's some research to suggest as well that it does um, also change mood and affect. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen this with the pill where it tends to uh, women tend to take more risk. Like they tend to have a bit more risky behavior with it. I think that that's not a hundred percent. Like I don't, I'm not confident saying with, with a hundred percent certainty, we know that that's true with, with HRT. I think Mm -hmm. there's a, it has a good safety profile to it, uh, like uh, synthetic progestin, but Mm -hmm. as someone who prefer, as just someone who prefers um, something that looks like Uh, Is an analog to something that I already produce, I would choose a bioidentical. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. Is this something that might be worth looking into proactively, not to say we need to start pumping ourselves with um, hormones when we're still kind of producing them naturally, but as somebody, for Mm -hmm. example, in their late thirties, who is cycling normally, whatever, but I'm staring down the barrel of these changes, right? Is it something, is it a conversation that I might start to have early with a doctor or is it like you wait until, I guess we all, we're all going to experience this maybe at different times and maybe different yeah. severity depending on, you know, genetics and how we're taking care of ourselves. Is it something that you kind of wait until, because the issue, the, the struggle that I have is like, it's one thing if you like wake up one day and you're having hot flashes and you're sexual functions gone. And like, I know because I'm in this industry, I'm like, Hmm, something's off. Let me go look at my hormones. But to your point, some people are like in their early forties and they just suddenly feel shitty on a bunch of different levels. And they have no idea to even think that this might be the situation. And then they're years down the lines, struggling and suffering, and they don't know to ask their doctor about this kind of stuff. So like, how do we know when is the right time to start having these conversations?
1: It's a good question. I don't know if I have I don't know if I have the answer. Um, yeah. I would say that it obviously differs from individual to individual. Um this is why I was saying if you can, if it's available to you, get your labs done every 6 months. Right. You can monitor it yourself. There's so many companies that kind of all at least sidestep sort of the gatekeepers. Sometimes medical doctors don't even want to look at it. They're like right. we'll talk about this when you're 55. So you there's so many companies now where you can sort of just get the phlebotomist who can come to your place or you know you there's kits that you can sort of order to your house and whatnot uh, so if that's available to you I would definitely um, recommend that mm-hmm. I think my only I guess the way I mean I think about this a lot because this is a really big question that my community that I, that's in my community right now and I think my I get maybe this makes me a bit more conservative but my my safety mind goes to if you start taking hormones our bodies are not, stupid right so they will now start to downregulate. there's negative and right. positive feedback systems in the body that um that in some ways we don't eat we still can't predict mm-hmm. so if you're starting to take some type of bioidentical you've ordered it off of amazon or maybe you're even if you're working with a naturopath or, or whatever um you're kind of stuck there right you're kind of stuck because now we have this in the system it's kind of like the birth control pill in mm-hmm. some ways right mm-hmm. in that you are um, initiating a negative feedback loop to sort of shut down that brain ovarian axis, And I would argue that the same is also true um, with replacement hormone replacement therapy, the safety profile, as far as I'm aware, it seems like within the first year of entering menopause. So again, I know it sucks. It's like a retroactive diagnosis. You need to go 12 months without a period, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, seems to be, um, the safest in terms of either alleviating symptoms, um, and helping to, you know, helping to have the woman sort of live a more vibrant, uh, wonderful life. But that doesn't mean that you have to go through menopause. I have lots of, uh, colleagues who are already on progesterone. They're sort of mid to late forties. I have women who are, you know, even, you know, you'll, you'll also know if you're, start, if you're starting to, like, if you have a partner, um, uh, it'll become more apparent in terms of like lubrication or like when you're intimate with with them, sex becomes a little bit more painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sort of takes a little, your desire, even just your general desire for connection with your partner starts to uh, decrease. So even things like um, um, topical, uh, or I should say maybe transdermal estrogen, like, it, like where we we're putting mm-hmm. suppositories into the vagina. Mm-hmm. Um, that is also very, very useful. So I think that, and that can happen before menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. so I think that it is a conversation that you can have with your primary, if you feel like they're open to it and then, you know, you can, you sort of have to go on a case by case basis. You know, we also, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there because there's so many different nuances, like so many little mm-hmm. details that I don't think I can accurately capture or that would be valuable.
0: Sure, okay. Yeah. I do want to briefly kind of touch on um, another stage, which is the sort of, well, I mean, I guess any anything, the sort of reproductive stage. I do want to talk about this for a little bit. So I just want to close the loop on the kind of, fitness and feeling good in your forties and beyond, because we did talk about a lot of stuff pretty briefly. And I know, you know, we can listen to your podcast and we can do this again to get kind of more deep on, on any of these particular topics, but to kind of close the loop, it's like, this is, this is inevitable. Aging is inevitable. You're lucky to get there. These things happen. And the ways in which we can be sort of proactive and positive and flexible with our changing bodies and hormones and life is to listen to what our bodies are telling us and actually respond in kind rather than fight against it, right? Eat nourishing foods, work out in a way that is beneficial instead of um, beating us down. I mean, do you have kind of any other like great like, and go now and enjoy your life (laughs) kind of final (laughs) thoughts for us? Because again, it is just, it's such, it is a huge, I think, hugely underserved market. And it is a group of women who are Who are really, again, generally speaking, I think desperate and lost, but but want to want to feel better and want to try. So is there any kind of anything else you can kind of just wrap it up in a nice little bow for us? They can feel like they've got some no no pressure, but some action.
1: I would say we've met we've touched on a few of them, which I think are deserving of a sort of double underline, if you will, and a highlight, which is increasing your protein consumption. Um, I would say at a very minimum, it's one pound per, one gram per pound of ideal body weight. I actually think that's a little light, but that's a good place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, generally I, you know, if you're eating, I'll, I'll, I can tell you what I'm doing in terms of protein. I'm actually consuming more than my body weight. Um, I actually haven't done the calculation, but I'm consuming about 150, sometimes 160 grams of protein a day. Mm -hmm. So that's about 50 grams per meal. Mm Um, and that might seem like a lot but you know i've said this on the show like get in touch with your inner protein shake like
0: just do it just do get it get
1: some protein shake and make a beautiful you know i have this in the evening i have this almost like dessert like i'll put some cottage cheese and i'll like whip it up with some chocolate protein powder and a little bit of honey and a little you know it's just, it's like, it's almost like a pudding it's like mm-hmm. it's uh, it's delicious mm-hmm. so i would say increasing protein is vitally important. I know that a lot of, you'll hear a lot of people say like 30 grams of protein. I'll say at the minimum, 30 is good. 40 is better. 50 mm-hmm. is best.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for most, for most people. Um, again, I'm painting a little bit broad strokes there, but mm-hmm. 30 at the very minimum. Um, if it can't, and the, your protein source matters. So at the risk, I, I think I'm talking to, I see the carnivore-ish <laughs> diet behind you, animal protein for the win. Um, partially because it's a, it's a, it's a multivitamin, but Mm -hmm. also in terms of protein, I mean, not all gluten is a protein technically. Um, so we want to be thinking about animal protein for its rich content in leucine. That's why whey protein, if you're going to like get in touch with your inner protein shake, you're going to make it a whey protein shake. If you can tolerate that or isolated Mm -hmm. beef or uh, what do they call it? Um, beef isolate is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So that's another, some people who can't tolerate whey uh, really do well with a beef isolate. Mm -hmm. Um, so that would be, um, that would be one thing I would also say, um, you know, I've said you want to also spread the protein out over, you can't have 150 grams at breakfast and then just have like, you know, Olive oil for the rest of the day. Like you want to, you want to sort of spread. You want to spread the bolus out over the course of the day. And the reason for that, we didn't talk about this, but quickly, the reason for that is that we're trying to drive a signal for muscle protein synthesis, which I'm sure you've talked about, maybe even ad nauseum at this point. Um, But when we are, when we are having, when we're having a full, uh, complete protein, uh, you're going to be getting amino acids like leucine, which drives the muscle protein synthesis process, which is going to help preserve your lean muscle mass. Um, so I would say timing quantity of the protein is important lifting weights. Um, there are so many free resources in terms of, I mean, a a local gym, you don't even need, you don't even need a gym, honestly, at the beginning, it's, you just need your body weight. Mm -hmm. You can do, you can do squats. You can do push-ups. You can do. You can hang off a doorway and figure out how to do a pull-up. Um, and then, as you sort of get more advanced, figuring out how to literally train your resistance. Right? You want to be hard mm-hmm. to kill. Mm-hmm. So you want to be lifting heavy weights. Um, and I talk about this in the Betty body, body in terms of how to cycle it over the course of your cycle. Um, and then maybe figuring out stress management. I would say for most women. This is a like, I, I like to get outside in the sun and I like to do some meditation. I have an app that I listen to. Um, I like to do cold plunges. I like to do sauna. Like these are some ways that I I find are very relaxing uh, for me or just taking a walk around the block after I've been sitting at the computer for, you know, too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody will find sort of a different rhythm. Some people really love yoga. Some people will uh, find joy in singing lessons, uh, in a pottery class, you know, whatever it is, but find something that brings you joy. And that is a uh, potent stress reliever in your life because no one, I'll tell you this, no one at the end of your life is going to be like, good for you. You were stressed out 90% of the time. Here's your medal. You can die now. That's you were
0: hungry and yeah. stressed out your whole <laughs> life. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah.
1: And That's not coming. So yeah. find, find a way to enjoy the time that you have um, I think in midlife we also start to contemplate our mortality. It's something that I start to think about. I think about it more than I ever have. I think in my twenties I thought I was indestructible, and in my forties I'm like, wow, I'm halfway through. Mm-hmm. If that, if if that, mm-hmm. if I can get, you know, mm-hmm. average age for women typically seventy eight. So I'm like mm-hmm. more than halfway there if I'm going to I'm going for the average. Mm-hmm. So find ways, you know, find ways to enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, in in clinic, I would often find and this is going to sound awful, but there were so many women. I was like, you either need to leave your husband, leave your job or both. Yeah. I mean, it was, and Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, and maybe that means you don't necessarily leave the husband. Like, you know, don't figure it out. out Yeah. 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 Try to figure it out, but whatever the dynamics are right now are not working. Mm -hmm. So maybe there's therapy. Maybe you need to have a conversation that you've been avoiding something Mm -hmm. because I'm telling you, All of that stress is just rotting you from the inside out. And, you know, let I I mean, at least for me in my 40s, like my sort of boundary, like my level of tolerance for bullshit has gone way down. Mm -hmm. I used to tolerate all sorts of things and I'm probably still tolerating too much if I'm being completely honest. Mm -hmm. But what I tolerate now as a 45 year old woman is very different than what I would as a 25 or 35 year old woman. Mm -hmm. So.
0: Yeah. It's like yeah. life is both too short and too long to mm. live in a way that you are constantly stressed and unhappy and not doing things that are supporting That's your own happiness. Right? That.
1: It really yeah. is. Too short and too, and long. too long. It is. Oh, okay. Damn it. That's amazing. Mm. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Mm. I can say something smart every half an hour. So (laughs) I've got one more in me. um, okay. So I want to go back to, you were talking at the top of this conversation and also just now, and you talk about in this, this, in your book about training around your cycle. And I do Mm. want to touch on this because in, in my experience and in the work that I've done with my clients, with the foundational understanding that I have about the changes that happen in, you know, normally air quotes, cycling, um, women in reproductive age, I have always kind of tended more towards, and this isn't talking about people with PCOS or people who have like really kind of specific issues for generally, normally cycling women. I have always been of the mind of like, if you're cycling normally and it's not really a big, huge deal for you every month and you don't have a lot of PMS symptoms and you, it isn't really a miserable experience for you kind of, maybe we should be like, not so um adherent to training around what our cycle would dictate and more just like how do you feel yeah. like actually pay attention to your biofeedback
1: like, like auto self-regulate yeah, right like, like if, yeah, if you auto regulate yeah
0: yeah if you wake up it the you know someday and you feel like a million bucks but your cycle saying this is the week you should be taking it easy like you should do what you know feels good kind of like understand your cycle, pay attention to it. You should know what's happening, but you don't have to be like a slave to it necessarily has kind of been the way that I normally approach it. I know that that of course does change depending on where a woman is in her life and also how her cycle is. But can you just kind of talk, like take it to the next level? Like why, when, and why does it matter to maybe train around your cycle? And how does somebody even kind of start looking at that?
1: Yeah. So I think that what you just mentioned should be step number one um, is this auto regulation. So can we check in before we're going to the gym or while we're at the gym and say, how does this feel? Maybe you've done a warm up, you've done some mobility work and how am I feeling today? Mm -hmm. Um, I would say as a general rule, um, more often than not, although, of course, as you mentioned, there can be exceptions to the rule at all times. Uh, I have also experienced that myself, that in the follicular phase, the first two weeks, we tend to be more expansive. We tend to have a bit more energy, a bit more reserves to push it harder, uh, typically. And then in the luteal phase, we tend to not have as much. There's a little bit more uh, energy degradation, potentially more inflammation. We tend to be a bit more insulin insensitive, et cetera. Um, So with the idea that you are going to check in every day, irrespective of where you are in your cycle, um, what I have noticed is, um, for women who are on their bleed week, and again, there can be a lot of variability here. Uh, some women it's like orgasmic to get their period. It's like, thank God. Like now I'm just like done with all this bloating and my, my boobs are feeling okay. Again, I get my rings back on all this stuff. So some people it's like such a relief and they're able to get back I'm to not pregnant. <laughs> I'm not pregnant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like, I remember my gym teacher in grade 10, She's like the only thing worse then getting your period is not, not getting your period, <laughs> right? Amen. <laughs> so I was like, that's yeah. so smart. And I've yeah. always remembered it. Yeah. Okay. So uh, for some women, the first couple of days of their period is very painful, right? They feel very lethargic. They're very crampy. They're very achy. So again, self-check in. Um, and then when you sort of get into the swing of things, I typically will, because we start to see estrogen rising, Towards the end of week one, and then it reaches sort of its apex at the beginning, like around day ten, let's say, of week two. I really do like to push it um, in these two weeks. So I like to lift as, and I'll actually let me let me just say it this way: I want you to be lifting all through your cycle heavy, like as heavy as you can. It's just the way typically that you lift heavy. We can we can modify that. Okay, so. Lifting heavy in the first two weeks of the cycle typically is anywhere between five reps. I actually love, like, in week two, like testosterone's high. I feel like I have all the energy in the world. Estrogen's really high. Five to seven reps. So I'm usually going for like a PR there for on weight. Um, in the first week, I typically will say like somewhere between call it eight and 10, maybe 12 um, reps there. Uh, again, heavy and okay. You want to, at the end of your set, at the end of every set, irrespective of where you are in your cycle, you want to feel like if I was right beside you and I said, how many more you got? Mm
0: -hmm. You might
1: say like, I got one, Mm -hmm. maybe two, Mm -hmm. maximum three, right? So we want like reps in reserve to be something like one to three. Mm -hmm. So that might mean that in week one, uh, if you're doing eight reps, let's say, or 10 reps, the weight's going to be lighter than you might do it in week two, but you're still going to feel that, fatigue or that, um, uh, appro- approaching muscle, uh, total muscle failure or total, you don't want to get to muscle failure. That's not necessary, but you want to approach it. You want, you mm-hmm. sort of want to brush up against it
0: mm-hmm.
1: where, um, like RIR is what I just mm-hmm. mentioned. Like how many reps in reserve do you have? The other way of looking at it is like, what, like how hard was that at of 10, you know, you want it to be eight, nine or 10 out of 10. Right. So mm-hmm. that was like a, that set was really difficult. That was an eight out of 10 for me. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a way, again, to self-regulate, right? How hard was that? Can I go up? Do I need to go down, et cetera? Um, in week three, so after you ovulate, I typically will lift the same way that I did in week one. So somewhere in that eight to 10 rep range. Um, and then in week four, often women will report lots of water retention. Not They're not sleeping that great. They don't have as much energy. They're typically feeling a bit more inflamed. So I still want them going... Um, as heavy, let's say as they can, but now the rep range is much higher. So it's like 15 to 20, sometimes even 25, uh, rep range, you know, reps, if they can, if they can, um, handle it. And that's gonna, I really like a higher rep range in late luteal phase because it's going to help reduce inflammation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've talked about myokines on the show before, which are these sort of, um, Inflammatory, we'll say anti-inflammatory modulators that are released every time the muscle is contracted. So the more that you contract the muscle, typically the better you're going to feel. Okay. And we really need that late in the luteal phase if if you are someone who really does suffer from some of these PMS symptoms that we've been talking about. So, all that to say, if you're someone who doesn't really know when her period's coming, you feel the same sort of all through the month. Lift the way that you love to lift approximate, there's many ways to skin a cat, just approach muscle failure. So you want to be able to say however long the sets are, uh, however long the reps are that you have one, two or three more left and that that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, you might, and that might mean the whole month you're lifting 10, you're doing 10 sets and that's good for you. And that's fine. Um, I would say for a lot of women who are in tune with their cycle and that in order for you to be in tune with it, you need to track it. Mm -hmm. So any tracking... I use Clue, no affiliation. I just like them. I know there's others. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure there's like where I think wearables are now starting to ask if you're on your period and they're trying to predict things and stuff too. So Mm -hmm. whichever floats your boat. Mm -hmm. Um, But I typically find in week one and two, I can really push my my sort of finite limit of matter, if you will. Um, And then part of the justification behind that too, we talked about estrogen at the top of the hour. And I think this is a good time to bring it up here. Estrogen peaks, as I've mentioned, at around day 10, if we're extrapolating over a 28-day cycle. So, you know, kind of the beginning of week two approximately for most women. Um, and estrogen has the beautiful ability to uh, make your tendons a bit tighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the tendons are sort of the, you have the muscle belly and then you have the tendon and that's going to be, that attaches to the bone. So this is actually a really great time to um, push, it. push it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is actually part of the reason um, I would I would start adjusting differently in the clinic. Mm-hmm. I was like, where are you in your cycle? Okay, so we're going to do this kind of manipulation, this kind of adjustment here. And we're going to, you know, oh, you're late luteal phase. Okay, we're going to do this kind of adjustment. So um, really good time to push it when the tendons are tight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we sort of see that kind of secondary rise of estrogen, not as high, but again, into that third week. Um. again. So maybe the, maybe the, it's not five to seven reps, maybe it's eight to 10 or, you know, however you see fit, but you can, you can sort of push it again. Sort of, you can push it really one, two, th- week one, two, and three. And then week four is like, almost like a deload week kind of.
0: It's kind right? of great. It's kind of great to yeah. think about that and build it in anyway, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how I think about training uh, for women who are, um, who are cycling. Again, you might be in your luteal phase and be like, I am going to go for a PR today. I'm going to do my one rep max. And if you do that, like, you know, kudos to you. That's amazing. You can do that too. Mm
0: -hmm. I think one sidebar I would give about the reps and reserve, because we do talk about this a lot on the podcast is unfortunately, most people are really bad at, at uh, yes. understanding or knowing what that is. And I think it's it's probably better the more trained you are, the more you, you do this stuff, you kind of have a better sense. But especially in the beginning, and you know that we do tend to see stereotypically, you know, it's like you go into a globo gym and there are generally men half-repping weights that they have no business touching. And then there are women doing 50 reps of seven pounds all day long, it's not doing anything for them, but they are scared to lift a heavier weight. Like, again, generalizations, right? Of people who maybe aren't as far along in their journey or aren't getting the, the right education or support. Men are usually overdoing it to their detriment, and women are underdoing it to their detriment. But
1: sometimes, even- sometimes I want to go into some those gyms with a t shirt that says full R O M, right? <laughs> We need to, we it's need to full we need, range of motion. Yeah.
0: We need to like make a t-shirt because the amount mm-hmm. of times I've developed a pull-up program because I'm, this is like a whole other side bar that we could go down because I'm a big fan of upper body strength and women. I wanted to get yes, into this with you because you did a post about this the other day that I really liked that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about. But, um, the amount of men that I see these muscle bound dudes who are just crushing quarter reps and some people, like I've made some, like, Lighthearted jokes about this on social media before, and people are quick to tell me that, you know, people have mobility issues and whatever. I'm like, yeah, sure. But most of these guys, it's not a mobility issue. It's a they no, are not and they take training all the, the full range plates, of motion.
1: They take all the plates in the gym, and then I can't do anything because there's like 30 45s on one side of the leg press and then 30 on the other. And I'm like, thank you. And then they bend their
0: knees five degrees. It's like, five degrees, dude. And then you, everyone knows it's like, <sighs> what are you doing? What are you doing? But so I guess again, quickly, the reps and reserve thing is I would just say, especially for women who, you know, maybe are newer to this or intimidated. And I don't want to tell, you know, for safety and common sense reasons, I'm not telling people to go out and like, go lift the heaviest weight you can lift and just see what happens. But I think that, you know, there, there was some study that I can't reference right now, where they were saying like, um, they asked people to guess if I, how many reps they could do of something.
1: I think Menno, I think Menno put this out. Probably. I, I and they would yeah, say like, yeah. I don't
0: know, 12. And then when they actually were pushed to the limit, they could do mm-hmm. like so much more than they thought they could do. I think it was
1: like a 40% underestimation. Right, right. Yeah, Which was, is
0: yeah, I remember that. massive. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm a very trained person. I've been doing this for a long time and I still go into the gym and think like, I kind of want to stop at eight reps. And then if I push myself, like I can do 16 at this weight, this is stupid. Like, you know, so- It's just sort of something to think about, especially for women. And if you do have a history of being like, you know, I'm weightlifting, but I'm not seeing any changes. And it's like, are you really pushing yourself? Are you struggling? Are those last few reps hard not dangerous not I'm dropping a weight on my head but are they hard are they really hard or can you kind of move the 10th rep the same as the fir- as the first rep and it's something to think about and maybe if you have somebody a training partner or somebody that you trust or somebody who can come and help you and spot you and really like on a day when you feel like you're you're willing to challenge yourself really kind of test out what that that yeah. five, that rep range is and see um so you have a better idea of what your reps in reserve are which will change from day to day and how you feel but I just feel like a lot of women are doing themselves a disservice because they've, they've, you know, done this whole long journey of moving from chronic cardio to weightlifting. And then they're like, I'm not seeing all these changes. You keep telling me are going to happen because they're maybe not pushing themselves hard enough. And this is the thing, this is like at the crux, I think of a body composition and muscle gain issues is knowing truly, I, I hope people don't listen to this podcast and think we're being huge bummers, but like, how hard it really is to build mush, muscle tissue as a woman anybody but especially as a woman and especially as somebody who isn't maybe taking any like extracurricular you know supplements if you're trying to get build muscle and you're not eating enough to even you know maintain your body's processes and then you're kind of like half-assing your your workouts and then you're stressed and not sleeping and you think you're going to create new tissue on your body it's insane you have to work so hard and you have and to it, eat and you, you said something really eat. important that you
1: have to eat yeah you have to you eat you can't put on muscle you you're can it, like i'm always i'm sure you asked this question can i lose fat and, and gain build muscle? muscle at the same yeah. time I, yeah it's why like, oh, why
0: would you want to
1: just do one thing right don't yeah. half-ass both it's things like, if you're gonna if you're gonna hunt two rabbits at the same time like don't. the likelihood of you finding getting both of them low exactly can we just chase one goal at a time you can do it you can you got to be of magnitude more difficult if you just say, I'm just going to go into a build phase. I'm going to enjoy my food. It's going to be eight months to a year. And then I'm going to cut. And, and then you're going to, you're going to see the changes.
0: And you don't have to gain 30 pounds of fat while you do that. That's the other no. misconception is that to bulk effectively or to eat enough effectively, you have to gain all this body fat. Maybe you'll yeah, gain those some are
1: dirty bulkers. Like those are people that are just like, I'll just eat whatever. You don't that's a eat- choice
0: you made. Okay. Yeah. That's not the way it has to be. Oh my goodness. Anyway, we could, we could just go so yeah. many directions here. Um, no, okay. but I
1: love what you said about, I love what you said about the reps and reserve. I think mm-hmm. some of that comes with putting in the miles, like you yeah. just kind of got to get used to what your own limit is, um, you know, I was talking to my neighbor the other day and she was like, gosh, I just, I love your arm. You know, she's like, what do you do for your arms? And I was like, well, you know, there." after I do shoulders, I have a hard time brushing my teeth. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say, and she's like, I'm so scared about injuring myself that's one of the comments (laughs) that she made. Mm -hmm. You know, people are so scared of injuring. So they actually stay away from it almost entirely. And it's, it's almost like I've heard, I've heard, I'm quoting Lane, um, Norton here, which I, I'm sure you're familiar with. He's mm-hmm. been on, on my show. He he talks about this idea of, you know, the likelihood of a woman getting bulky, or you might even extrapolate like extend that to like injuring yourself from lifting heavier is sort of like expecting that now that you drive a car, you're going to become a NASCAR driver. Right. And I really, I really like that. I mean, it's sort of tongue mm-hmm. in cheek and it's a bit shocking as lane can be, but I, I really do like that because as a woman, like let's just call a spade a spade. There's always gonna be outliers, but do you know how hard it is to put on muscle tissue as a woman? You yes, testosterone is our most dominant sex hormone, but we got about 10 times less than our guy yeah. than the guys do. It is And they very, don't get bulky by accident
0: either. They don't yeah. get too muscular by accident. Yeah. Yeah. And they have way more advantages than we do. Nobody's right. accidentally getting too buff. Okay. You got to work
1: with an E. You got a W-E-R-K right. to W E R K to
0: get. That's right. Like it's
1: hard. It's hard. And you will, if you are, let's say, bulking up, let's say you are the outlier, you're the 1% or whatever. Then you can just you can just dial it back
0: exactly. But again, it's not gonna you're not gonna wake up one day and be like I'm a monster who needs to be on you know whatever. It's gonna you're gonna notice the. You're not gonna be
1: green and yeah. No, and the
0: and the chances are you're gonna love those changes when they happen. Like I always say, when people like I've had women come up to me in the gym and ask me questions and how to lift weights and how do I keep from getting bulky, and I always tell them like you know, you came up to me for a reason, presumably, like, do you think I'm bulky? You can say it. You know, I have a thick skin. I don't mind. And they'll always say, no, of course not. That's why I, you know, came up to talk to you. And I'm like, I have been working as hard as I possibly can for years upon years upon years and eating Mm -hmm. a ton of food and I'm not bulky yet. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. again, it's sort of like, just give it a shot. And I love that goes back like full Mm -hmm. circle to kind of like the playfulness you talked about. This will have to be on another episode where we talk about food because I wanted to talk about your thoughts on intuitive eating. I know you've spoken about that and I want to talk about eating animal protein and and organ meats. But when you were talking about infusing more play into life, um, I think that's so important and it is sometimes easier said than done. Like I, on one hand, I have this amazing opportunity with a two-year-old to have more play in my life because his whole life is, is about play, playfulness and exploration. And, you know, but I find myself sometimes being too much like I have to be the parent now, or I have to be worrying about Mm -hmm. things instead of like immersing myself in it. But the entire reason that I wrote the book, the first book, It Takes Guts, about organ meats is not just because I think it's important for people to eat the whole animal and to eat animal protein and to eat the best, most nutritious parts of the animal, but because I like to think of trying new things. And especially I think food is a really yeah. low barrier to entry as something yeah. that's fun and it's an experience and it's, mm-hmm. it's enjoyable. And like you try something new because it's an adventure, not because it's scary, but I think we are so conditioned to believe that something new is scary and unpleasant. And maybe and that's you an can instinctive. Suck. Thing. Like it's okay to suck also. It's okay to be a beginner. Totally fine. Cause it's you probably totally fine. If you like it, You'll eventually get better and that'll be great, probably. And if you don't like it, you literally are no worse off. You're exactly where you started. So if you try organ meats and you hate all of them, you are not worse off. You've learned something and you've had an experience. Probably you're going to find something you like. It's the same with lifting weights. You know, it's like, let's just enter these things. If you're here, it's because you're interested and you want to make changes. So just enter into it with a spirit of like, let's just try it you know, let's just give it a shot. And what's
1: the worst that could happen? What's
0: the worst that could happen? Okay. Mm-hmm. We've talked for an hour and a half. I love it. I, oh my Lord. I, right? <laughs> um, I I know we have to do a part two. I'm so yeah. excited to do a part two. I want to end this with just a um, a really quick rapid fire question that you can't think about it too long. There's no okay. qualifiers here. I just want to hear your first answer. The yes. one exercise in the gym that you love the most and hip thrusters only- okay <laughs> all right if that's it for the rest of your life hip thrusters okay
1: i would do hip thrusters oh for the rest of my life the rest of my life god okay so it's your favorite it's
0: polyps- is hip thrusters
1: favorite i okay. love pull-ups
0: though right that's my girl that's what i <laughs> hip, hip thrusters pull-ups.
1: and pull-ups if i had to if if i had one for lower body can i make yes. it one for lower body one for upper body okay Actually, you know what let me change i love hip thrusters but if i could only do one i would do a squat okay. and a pull-up yep just yep. because the squat hits more like the squat's going to get the adductors it's going to get the quads it's going to get a few more things so if i only had one i would do the squat barbell squat only uh and for upper body i would do pull-ups until the cows come home
0: okay, When I next time I come to Toronto, we should get a work in together because you basically just described my my favorite workout. So yes. I love it. <laughs> um, Stephanie, thank you so much. This has been incredibly, I think, useful. And it sort of just makes me feel better too because these are a lot of questions that, again... What wherever you are in your stage of life as a woman, these are things that are important to all of us and that matter. And it's just good for more people to be having more honest conversations about it. Um, So I really appreciate you doing that with me and taking the time. And again, there are, there's, I have a whole list here of the things we didn't get to get to. um, So we'll have to do a part two, but until then, where can folks learn more about you, get your book, your podcast, everything?
1: Sure. Yeah. So uh, the free way to sort of start interacting with me is on the podcast. So it's a podcaster, as you are. so it's called Better with Dr. Stephanie. We you know, have weekly episodes uh, there it talks about all things nutritious, nutrition and fitness and sex hormones and aging and what it means to be a woman and you know, mindset and parenting and sex and all the things. Um I'm relatively active on Instagram. I know that my marketing team wants me to be more- <laughs> mm, yeah, welcome. Uh, I'm I'm there. I'm on Instagram as well. Um, and so you can find me at uh, Dr. First Name, Last Name, so Dr. Stephanie Estima. Um, the book you can find on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, you know, anywhere good books are sold. It's called mm-hmm. The Betty Body by Dr. Stephanie Estima, named after my podcast listeners, by the way. Cool. So the podcast is called Better. And we had fans sort of starting to call themselves Betty's. And I was like, How cute is that? That's so pretty cute. Betty's. Yeah, so Betty <laughs> Body. Um, how else can you interact with me? That's that's it right now. When I relaunch my sort of more holistic plan, I mean that's going to be in in a while because I want to do it right. But um, I'll well, I can send you the when it's ready. You can amend the show notes or whatever. But those are the places right now.
0: Awesome. All right, keep uh, keep being amazing and uh, inspiring us. Appreciate you. And what uh, a delight. Yeah, let's do it again soon. Very soon. Yeah. Okay.